the power. Fight 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 the power. We got to fight the power that beats. As the rhythm designed, the bounce with tell and that the rhyme designed to fill your mind. Now that you realize the prize arrives, we got to pump the stuff to make it tough. This episode of DFS MVP is sponsored by Draft, a daily fantasy app where your chances of winning are over 200% better than on other DFS sites. On Draft, you can do a simple snake draft for one week whenever you want. A draft takes just minutes to complete. Download Draft now. Be sure to enter the promo code 444 to get a 100% deposit bonus. Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports' most valuable podcast, presented by 4 for 4 Football. I'm 4 for 4 Senior DFS Editor Chris Raybon, joined as always by my co-host, 4 for 4 Associate Editor Mr. TJ Hernandez. What is going on? It's week three, TJ. What's up, Chris? Yeah, I mean, we're all still uh, reeling from Eli and Cash, um, but... <laughs> But it actually turned out to be a really good week because we saw one of the really good guys in the industry have a really successful week. Uh, Al Smizzle took down the Millionaire Maker, so I think it's worth at least mentioning that because we've met him and hung out with him before, and he's he's probably one of the nicest dudes in the industry, and he's probably uh, pumped us up as much as anybody else in the industry as well, so it's really good to see that. Yeah, definitely. Congrats to Al. I know he's a listener of the podcast. Really happy to see him win. Gave him a shout out in my uh, column today. So congrats, Al, on that Millie. Um, Moving on, we have to discuss the music that played us in. As always, uh, it was Fight the Power by Public Enemy off their 1990 album, Fear of a Black Planet. And this song seems kind of appropriate just given all the things that are going on in, in the NFL right now with Colin Kaepernick and, and whatnot. So I think, it's a, I think it's a pretty good song for the times. Yeah, actually, I've been just kind of trying to uh, have my feelers out and remember to, to take notes of songs whenever I hear them. And I only have DirecTV six months a year specifically for football. So I was going through my old DVR and I, I found uh, I had Do the Right Thing on my DVR and I forgot about it. So I started watching it a little bit and it's on the opening credits and also like the classic Radio Raheem scene. So I was like, oh, let's put it on the pod. <laughs> Good call. Let's jump right into the pod, our DFS theory segment today. We'll be on the different types of slates and slate selection. And of course, before that, we will go through each of the positions, give a key stat on each. You guys know the deal. So let's jump right in. At quarterback, there are a couple of road underdogs that I'm interested in. If I'm not playing the Monday slate, Phil Rivers, Carson Palmer, but... If you are playing the Monday slate, I think Drew Brees, you have to look at him. Over the last two seasons, he's averaging 339 passing yards per game and 2.63 passing touchdowns per game at home compared to only 297 
passing yards and 1.69 passing touchdowns on the road. And in his career, he's averaging 15 more passing yards and point. 66 more passing touchdowns at home than on the road. The Saints have a 28.5 point implied total. That is the highest on the slate. The game's 54 point over under as of this recording on Wednesday night is also the highest on the slate. The Falcons allowed 290 yards and 3.5 TDs per game over their first two games of this season. That equates to 25.8 FanDuel and DraftKings points, which is fifth worst in the league on DraftKings and third worst in the league on FanDuel. My quarterback this week is Marcus Mariota. He's $7,700 on FanDuel, $5,900 on DraftKings. We were just talking about it before we started recording. Oakland's defense has been surprisingly bad. We really expected them to improve coming into this year, but it hasn't happened so far. Oakland's allowed the second-worst touchdown rate in the league, uh, allowing a touchdown on 9.2% of pass attempts, and the second-worst fantasy points per attempt to quarterbacks allowing uh, 0.77 fantasy points per attempt so those are really high numbers and numbers that you want to target and exploit tennessee has an implied point total of 24.25 which isn't in the top tier of implied point totals but it is eight points over their uh, point per game average on this young season so if they do hit that mark that vegas expects them to hit that 24 points and end up scoring three touchdowns all of those touchdowns could come from Mariota because tennessee has thrown more than any team in the red zone so far this year they've thrown on 81 percent of their plays so i think given uh, Mariota's depressed price he's a really good value especially for cash games yeah definitely and one interesting thing to keep in mind uh, I know any of you guys who have read the definitive guides to stacking know that the running back is a good choice to stack with a quarterback. And DeMarco Murray is actually second in the league. Of course, he's tied with a bunch of people because it's early. But DeMarco Murray is second in the league in targets inside the 10-yard line. And he's uh, fifth in the league in red zone targets. So... DeMarco Murray might make for an interesting stacking partner with Marcus Mariota. I'm sure a lot of people are going to go with Delaney Walker or Tajay Mm -hmm. Sharp. But uh, moving on, key quarterback stat for me, only, and you alluded to this earlier, TJ, only six other times in post-merger NFL history did a quarterback throw for at least 368 yards with zero touchdowns like Eli Manning did against the Saints on uh, in week two? So that was pretty much a huge outlier, something I wouldn't uh, put too much weight in going forward for either Eli or the Saints defense. Although, ironically, one of the other six to throw for that many yards and no, no touchdowns was also Eli Manning. <laughs> so maybe we should have been uh, a little skeptical with EY, but uh, what's your key stat, TJ? Yeah, so somehow we ended up with a bunch of historical stats, and we didn't even plan this, so uh, so good job by us. But my key stat for quarterbacks is since the merger, Russell Wilson's 5.9% career touchdown rate is the third highest of any quarterback, but it's just 1.3% this year. They're facing a 49ers team that has allowed a 5.3% touchdown rate to quarterbacks and are running the second fastest paced offense in the league. 
definitely. I think some re- Russell Wilson's definitely due for some regression. I know he's been a little banged up, but uh, if he's healthy, I think he's in a really good spot against those 49ers. Moving on to the running back position, Melvin Gordon is 7,100 on FanDuel and 5,800 on DraftKings. Coming into the season, I think there were two big concerns with Melvin Gordon. One was the that he had micro-fracture surgery on his knee, and the other was that Danny Woodhead was hogging most of the red zone work. He seemed to be the more trusted back for Phillip Rivers. Both of those concerns going into week three have been alleviated. Gordon looks really good on tape, on the field, running the football. Looks like he's over whatever knee problems uh, were plaguing him. And, of course, Danny Woodhead done for the season with the torn ACL. Melvin Gordon, after scoring no touchdowns last season, is second in the NFL and carries inside the 10-yard line. This season, he has three touchdowns. He played 75% of the snaps and had 27 touches last week. San Diego is fourth in football outsiders adjusted line yards and the Colts are dead last in defensive adjusted line yards at 4.68 and they are fourth worst in the league giving up 125 rushing yards per game and tied for second worst in the league giving up 1.5 rushing touchdowns per game so Melvin Gordon in a really good spot even though he is a road underdog against the Indianapolis Colts TJ who are you looking at at the running back position yeah one other quick note on Gordon is he only played 50 percent of the snaps combined through the first two games and he was still averaging over 20 touches per game and San Diego has given their running backs the fourth highest touch share their running backs have accounted for 64 percent of all team touches so uh there's a lot of upside for gordon besides his obviously high floor with woodhead out but uh my key running back this week it's a toss-up between two guys because we have a bunch of running backs that are going to be stepping in for injured starters as we talked about melvin gordon two other guys are theo riddick and charles sims theo riddick is the guy that i'm Favoring this week, uh, he's $6,400 on FanDuel and $4,900 on DraftKings. Uh, Amir Abdullah is sent to the IR, short-term IR, but still at least eight weeks. So obviously Theo is going to see a lot bigger workload as we saw last week. Uh, Riddick had a career high in carries last week with Abdullah being hurt. He had 11 carries. Uh, He's already a guy that's a huge PPR machine. He's basically a, a receiver that happens to get carries. Uh, He's already playing 52% of the snaps. I think that snap share could be humongous this week. Uh, Dwayne Washington is going to have a role and maybe Zach Zinner, but uh, if they do, it's probably not going to be this week. Detroit is an eight-point underdog against Green Bay, so if they do fall behind, they're playing catch-up. Theo Riddick, who's already going to see an increased share, is probably going to see... He could see 75% of Detroit snaps this week. So he's a guy that I really like in any format uh, this week. Key stat, the RB2 in winning DraftKings Millionaire Maker lineups, average salary is 45.78, and none have been over 5,800 since 2015, uh, since the beginning of 2015. 
Uh, my key stat, another historical stat. Since the merger, only 10 running backs have had 60-plus touches in the first two games of the season, and it's happened only once since 2006. Through two games, D'Angelo Williams has 64 touches. Mm. And Matt Forte is up there, too. I think he's got about 57. So Yeah, he's close. Some of the older running backs getting a lot of touches. Uh, moving to wide receiver, Larry Fitzgerald, 7,600 on FanDuel, 6,900 on DraftKings. Four for four's player target app will tell you Fitzgerald is averaging 10.5 targets per game. And only six players have more targets than Larry Fitz through two weeks of the season. Larry Fitz has two more targets inside the 10-yard line than any other wide receiver. He's got five and he leads the NFL in red zone targets as well with six. Uh, four for four's player snap app will tell you that John Brown's playing roughly only 50% of the snaps. So that's really locked Larry Fitzgerald into uh, another high volume role that we saw from him through the first half of 2015. And the Bills really struggled last Thursday with the size of. The Jets wide receivers, Marshall, Decker, and Anunua are all are all pretty big guys. And the Bills cornerbacks, while they do have some talent, they aren't very big. Stephon Gilmore, Ronald Darby, and especially Nickel Roby Coleman, which who would line up over Fitzgerald if they played man-to-man and, and Fitzgerald was in the slot. And Roby's only 5'7", 169. So... I think Larry Fitzgerald will have another good game. He's getting all of the red zone usage that we want from him, and he should have a size mismatch against the Buffalo Bills. And then we have Travis Benjamin. He's 6,900 on FanDuel, 5,200 on DraftKings. He looks like Philip Rivers' top target now. He's been ultra-efficient, uh, caught 13 of 14 targets. Uh, so you're giving up a little bit of volume with him. He's had seven targets uh, per game. He actually only had six in last week's blow-up mm-hmm. game. But the thing to like about Benjamin is he can get high percentage targets uh, or he can go deep. So in, in in week one, I think he had seven catches for 32 yards. So getting a lot of short catches that can pad his reception total. And then he also can, can make the big plays. And he has been getting volume where it counts. He's got four red zone targets. Only four players in the league have more through two weeks. And Benjamin's 4.36 40-yard dash speed suits him very well traveling to the Dome in Indy in a game with an over-under of above uh, 50. Uh, we know a guy like T.Y. Hilton puts up much better stats inside. We Brandon Cooks as well. Travis Benjamin's a similar kind of player as, as far as uh, what he can do physically. So expecting another solid game from Benjamin, even if the efficiency dips a bit, the target should go up. The Colts defense getting a little healthier, but still haven't spent much practice time together this season and uh, Philip Rivers should be able to pick that apart. Who are you looking at, TJ? Yeah, and uh, touching on Travis Benjamin, if you're a 4 for 4 subscriber tomorrow in the DraftKings Cash Game Breakdown article, I'm actually going to touch on why you uh, can forego Travis Benjamin's uh, volume a little, why you can be okay with that volume a little bit because he's in a really unique situation. 
So if you're a 4 for 4 subscriber, look for that. Uh, but my first receiver is Jarvis Landry, $7,000 on FanDuel, $6,600 on DraftKings. Uh, even with Devontae Parker coming back last week and getting 13 targets, Jarvis Landry also saw 13 targets. Now, he did see a lot of that in garbage time, uh, but I'm not overly concerned with that, and I'll get into why in a second. Uh, he's one of four players seeing 30% of his team's targets. This should be one of the fastest pace games of the week against a really bad Cleveland defense. So I think that there are going to be a lot of scoring opportunities at least early in the game and uh, Dolphins could get out to a big lead really quick. So um, not having that garbage time might be a concern, but uh, with Arian Foster out, I think there's a chance that Landry could kind of be that default uh, short passing game uh, in lieu of the the run game. I I think it was a Sunday or a Monday night game last year where they were in a similar situation and Landry ended up with something like 20 targets and it seemed like they were all five-yard targets, which most of his targets are anyway. Uh, but I think he his volume's still going to be fine this week, even as huge favorites. Uh, my other guy is... Jeremy Macklin. This one's probably going to be a little bit off the radar, but I think this is going to be a really good spot to pivot if you are on a guy like Jarvis Landry. Jerry Macklin is $7,000 on FanDuel, and he's 6 k on DraftKings. He's quietly seeing 11 targets per game. Casey's got off to a little bit of a slow start, but they are one of just seven teams throwing over 70% of the time in the red zone. And the Jets have allowed the third most fantasy points per reception to wide receivers behind only Tampa Bay and the aforementioned Oakland Raiders. So uh, I think Macklin's in a really good spot to kind of have that game that we expect him to have on the week-to-week basis and uh, could be a really nice play this week. Very interesting. Uh, if, if Macklin's just the latest uh, receiver to burn Revis, man, it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna start getting ugly. Uh, key stat for me: if you've read my article, "The Value of Targets by Field Location," then you know that deep targets, defined as targets fifteen or more yards downfield, are worth over thirty-one percent more than short targets, which are targets under 15 yards. And through two weeks, the leaders in deep targets are Will Fuller with 12, Mike Evans and Terrell Pryor with 10, and Antonio Brown and Allen Robinson with 8. My key stat is about the Carolina Panthers. Kelvin Benjamin has seen a 30% target share so far this season, but it's came while playing only 67% of the Panthers' offensive snaps. Mm. You're listening to DFS MVP, presented by 4 for 4, Chris Raybon, TJ Hernandez. Do you play Daily Fantasy? If so, you should be playing on draft. Get this, your chances of winning on draft are over 200% better than on other DFS sites. If you're not a pro and not spending hours a day on fantasy, you should be playing on draft. You'll win more often. It's statistically proven on draft. You do a simple snake draft, just like at the beginning of your season-long league. You can do drafts whenever you want. They last for just one week, and they take only minutes to complete. I have draft on my phone. I just did a 10-person draft and got Julio Jones with my number four pick. So join me, download Draft now. Be sure to enter the promo code 4 for 4. That's the number 4, the letters F O R, and the number 4 when you download, and you will get a 100% bonus when you deposit. Again, download the Draft app and enter promo code 4 for 4 now.
DFS MVP, Chris Raybon, TJ Hernandez. Moving on to tight ends. And I'm looking at Dennis Pitta against the Jaguars. He's 5,000 on FanDuel, 3,400 on DraftKings. He's averaging eight targets per game, which is tied for fourth among tight ends. He's playing 71% of the snaps. Uh, it's encouraging that he's uh, got better in week two than he was in, in week one as he rounds into shape after not playing for a while. But just based on volume, uh, I really like the price point for him because – Tight ends are the most volatile or one of the most volatile fantasy positions outside of defense special teams. And whenever you can, you should be looking to save a little cash on tight end to protect yourself from some of that volatility. So this week, Dennis Pitta averaging eight targets per game, 12 last week. Uh, solid play against the Jaguars. TJ, who are you looking at? Well, if you don't want to take Chris Raybon's advice and pay down for tight end, uh, my guy this week is Jordan Reed at 7500 on FanDuel and 6500 on DraftKings. I think he's going to be in a really good spot, especially because I think people are probably pretty low on this Washington offense right now. But if we look at Fantasy Outsiders' uh, adjusted sack rate, the Redskins have the third lowest adjusted sack rate of any offensive line in the league. The Giants' defensive line has the third lowest sack rate on defense so Cousins should have a lot of time this week against a New York team that is pretty fast-paced and Washington is fast-paced themselves sticking with football outsider stats this is the only game with two teams that are in the top 12 in pace so uh, we could have sneaky shootout potential here Washington's throwing on 77 percent of their red zone plays and three of those looks have went to read only one tight end has more red zone targets and as we all know we've talked about this a lot on the podcast we saw it in week one uh, the way to attack the Giants is in the middle of the field Jordan Reed's obviously one of the best tight ends over the middle in the league um, I mentioned that the over-under is at 46.5, so there is a chance for some sneaky shootout potential. I think Reed's in a really good spot this week. Yeah, we didn't just see it in week one. We saw it in week two. It's just that the mm-hmm. Saints the Saints failed because Colby Flynn <laughs> yeah. is apparently not very good. So I think he had about eight targets, but only came down with two catches, had a couple mm-hmm. of drops. So I'm sure... No matter how, even if the Giants' D-line does start getting more pressure, I don't think Jordan Reed will be the guy asked to block regardless. I think that would that would probably be Vernon Davis in there if they mm-hmm. really needed an extra guy. Uh, key stat, tight end. Uh, in terms of hitting tournament value, which is 3x on FanDuel and 4x on DK, 63% of the tight ends to hit tournament value last year were at home on DraftKings and 65% were at home on FanDuel. So really uh, lopsided home road splits uh, for tight ends. What about you, TJ? Uh, Through two weeks of the season, Kyle Rudolph is the only tight end in the league that has seen 25% or more of his team's targets. Hmm. Moving on to kickers, Adam Vinatieri. He's 4,700, three-point home favorite, 27.25 team total for Indianapolis and he's kicking inside so no weather concerns Uh, Adam Vinatieri in a really good spot this week who are you looking at for your defense TJ on defense I think that we're 
we're at the point in the season where you just target the Browns every single week with your defense. Uh, Miami is $4,600 on FanDuel, $3,000 on DraftKings. I like Miami a little bit more on FanDuel just because on FanDuel, pricing is packed a little bit tighter. On DraftKings, you could pay down and get a, a lot bigger discount. But the Dolphins are favored by 10 versus Cleveland. It looks like Cody Kessler is going to be starting for them. Corey Coleman's out with a broken hand. We just got that news today. The offensive line was already struggling, and we saw Baltimore really get after McCown last week, knock him out, hit him a bunch, sacks, turnovers, even getting down 20 points. Baltimore was still able to put up uh, 12 uh, FanDuel and DraftKings points just because they were able to generate those turnovers and get after the quarterback, which is really how you generate points. And I think Miami will do the same thing again this week. Definitely. And what a shame for Corey Coleman, man. He was just starting to come on. Um, sucks that he's going to miss some time there. M- moving on to our DFS theory segment, we're going to talk a little bit about slates and slate selection. And of course, the news has come out that FanDuel has followed suit uh, like DraftKings and has made their main slate Sunday only. They still do have Thursday through Monday and Sunday through Monday, but the main slate will now be Sunday only. So there's a bunch of implications as far as slate selections. Of course, you can enter the Thursday slates. You can enter the Thursday slates just to fade them. You can enter smaller slates. You can enter the Sunday-Monday slate if there's somebody you really think you need to use in the Monday game. So, TJ, I guess I'll ask you, um, in terms of slates... Let's just start off. You know the 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 slate, the change in the, the to the Sunday only slate and slate selection in general. You know, uh, tell us. You know who who is it affecting and what is it affecting? Yeah. So um, I mean, you covered exactly what's happening. So basically, what that means is that when you log into FanDuel or DraftKings, DraftKings has been doing this all year, but FanDuel is implementing it this week. Uh, if you don't click on anything, the games that you see listed are going to be the Sunday-only games. Before, it was the Sunday and Monday games that you would see. And that means that the biggest tournaments, the the Sunday Million, um, the Millionaire Maker, DraftKings is already doing it. But those are the slates where you're going to see the most action because that's where the biggest tournaments are. That's where the most money is. So uh, how's it going to affect the players? Uh, probably not much. You probably if, if you're just playing a couple of games a week, you probably won't notice. Uh, you won't have access to the Thursday games or the players on the Monday night slate. But um, if if you weren't playing th- the Thursday slate already, then you were already missing out on one of those games. Uh, I think what the major implication is going to be is that there's going to be more money in play on these smaller slates. So before what was happening was there were tournaments going from Sunday to Monday and then you weren't getting paid out till Tuesday but these sites were trying to run slates that were primetime slates either uh, just Sunday Monday slates or uh, Monday to Thursday slates which only include start with the Monday night game and then end with Thursday night game so two game slates and I I think that one of the reasons that this happened is because they want to get those uh, games filled see some higher buy-ins maybe run some more qualifiers in them and by paying out these Monday uh, on Monday People have money in their account Monday morning, be able to sign up for these Monday night games. So I think that's the why. Um, 
the what's going to happen to you i think you're just going to want to uh figure out if there's any reason that you you want to play another slate like i said um most of the money is going to be on the sunday slates now but you don't have to uh look for it because your lobby is going to default to uh to the sunday slate yeah and uh i think you made a good point where you know you, you talked about the 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 sites themselves kind of have an incentive to change these slates around so uh, as a player you have to be uh vigilant of that and make sure you have your own psychology in check and you're not just winning a bunch of money and then immediately blowing it on on these short slates on the monday uh thursday slates or whatever um short slates tj how do you feel about short slates in general you know say the sunday to monday night prime time slate or the monday to thursday slate um do you play them at all and if so what kind of strategy do you use yeah let me uh before I forget, let me just say that I think that the the bigger impact is going to be on DraftKings because um, on FanDuel, the uh, the slates are locked and you can't change anything. On DraftKings, where we had that 24-hour period to, uh, to sweat and then to try to figure things out with late swap, now you really have to be on the ball. As soon as that, that uh, 1 p.m. game ends, uh, or 4 p.m. If, if you're on the East Coast, you have to be in front of your computer getting ready to do any late swaps, especially if you're in a big tournament. So that's definitely going to change. But as far as small slates, slates, I generally avoid the smaller slates. Um, there's going to be more variance in them because a lot of times those primetime slates are only two games. So obviously the player pool is really small. And if you're playing in a, a tournament, which is the only game you should be playing and if you're playing in a small slate i don't recommend playing cash games Uh, it's just a completely different game you almost throw player projections out the door and it turns into a game of understanding leverage and understanding ownership percentages relying on extremely volatile players so sometimes the most optimal play will be say if you played um played this weekend the sunday monday slate uh primetime slate maybe the most optimal play might have been to play um uh maybe like Wendell smallwood or something like that even though you would never play him in a normal slate you just have to have one of these ridiculously under owned volatile players who you hope can score a touchdown and obviously that's going to lead to a lot higher variant results so for example this week i didn't up play in the short primetime slate and i actually had a um a live lineup i had going into monday night i had the most player minutes remaining in the whole tournament, which is very important, especially if you're playing on DraftKings and using that late swap, you really want to have player minutes remaining going into the last game. But I was kind of scrolling through the leaderboard, trying to figure out if there's anything I could do to make my lineup more live. And tied for first place, I think, was 15 lineups. So even if you bink first place in a tournament like that, I think um, you know you could be losing all your any expected value you have because you're going to end up splitting those prizes so generally i'm trying to avoid those smaller slates yeah just going off what you said i think just where the strategy comes in it's not just having uh, a really low owned guy it's also sometimes can be just fading one of the the more higher owned players and mm-hmm. and not using all of your salary cap because i think what happens a lot is the reason there are so many unique lineups is that it, because there's only two games, you can usually kind of arrive at the same optimal lineup as a bunch of other people, and it will usually take up 
pretty much as much salary as possible. But mm-hmm. let's just say you you know fade a guy like Alshon Jeffrey, who was the most uh, expensive player, and you played somebody like Nelson Aguilar, or Josh Huffer, mm-hmm. somebody like that. Um, sometimes just doing that alone, um, without playing a, even a super off the radar play, but just fading one guy and just playing some more uh, mid tier guys instead of the the stud at the position um, can work because it might just give you a unique lineup. So I think in those kind of slates, you really want to pay more attention uh, to, to leaving salary on the table and, and, and things like that. Whereas in in some of the bigger tournaments, like I think in the in the Millie Maker, the data that I have going back to 2015 in terms of the winning lineups, I think no none of the winning lineups left more than three hundred dollars on the table on DraftKings. I'm not sure what it is for FanDuel, but I would assume it's somewhere around the same. So winning lineups in, in those large slates, because there's just so many players, somebody's bound to hit on a combination um, using uh, most, if not all, of the salary cap. But in the small slates, totally different story there. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I think cash games are, are pretty much off the table in, in mm-hmm. these small slates. Um, I and uh, anything, do we have anything else to talk about with these slates? Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to talk about which slates I do play and how I use them since, since um, you know, that that's what's going to change with the Sunday night slate. So beforehand, everyone was playing the Sunday to, to Monday slate, and I still played a lot of Sunday only. Now it's just going to flip. I'll mainly be playing Sunday only, but still having exposure to the Thursday and the um, Sunday to Monday slate. So... I use the Thursday. Um, that, that's probably where I play my least amount of money, and I play it for d- two different reasons. Uh, the main reason is because you're trying to face uh, some opponents that just load up on those Thursday night games. We see it every single week where you have a lineup with uh, nothing but players from that Thursday game. And even if you only have a couple of those lineups in a tournament or a 50-50, that's free money. It's like it's basically overlay. You're getting overlay on a full tournament because that lineup is dead. Um, so on DraftKings, I'm just using it to lock in my exposure to those opponents. Um, on on FanDuel, I'm doing it for a little bit of a different reason. On FanDuel, I'm trying to uh, lock in ownership of players that I might not get that ownership for on a regular slate. So a classic example, and there's way more reasons than this, but just the easiest one is if there's a player that's questionable uh, in the middle of the week, if you can lock him into a FanDuel GPP on Thursday, you can sometimes lock that guy in at sub 5% when, and then when it comes Friday that he was a full practice participant by Saturday or Sunday, he might be a 20% owned guy. So obviously that's a very high equity situation for you. So that's why I play the FanDuel. Thursday slates but the way I use the Sunday versus the Sunday Monday slate is I use it to naturally diversify um, not only my lineups but my exposure to my opponents so one of the most popular questions that both of us probably get is uh, how many cash lineups do you play and for me I only play one cash lineup because in theory you're rolling out your highest equity uh, most optimal lineup but by playing different slates but even if I'm playing the same lineup I'm getting exposure to lineups that I won't get if I only play one slate so maybe my optimal lineup only has players in Sunday night games or in Sunday games I'm sorry but if I play a Sunday to Monday slate I'm going to face people that have players playing on Monday where I'm not going to get that on Sunday so whether my lineup's really good or really bad I'm naturally going to get um, diversification in my results without playing different lineups I'm still playing 
definitely what I think is the most optimal lineup. And vice versa, if there's players that I want exposure to, but I, I'm kind of in a coin flip situation, say there's equally priced running backs, one is playing on Sunday, one's playing on Monday, well, I can make a lineup that's Sunday only and Sunday to Monday, have both of those players in my lineup, and I haven't uh, theoretically lost any equity. I'm still playing the most optimal lineup possible because I have them rated equally, and on the Sunday slate, I can't play the Monday guy anyway. So I'm not losing any equity by playing those equally valued players at the same price. So you get a lot of natural diversification that way, and I think it's something that's really underrated because people just generally think about diversification through um, lineup construction, playing different lineups, but playing different slates is a great way to, to get that uh, diversity. Definitely, and I'm totally with you there. I also play one cash game lineup, um, mainly play head-to-head, so that's the way I'll get my diversification by just playing multiple, uh, facing a bunch of different uh, head-to-head opponents. Um, But I wanted to ask you, given that this week the Monday night game is Falcons-Saints in New Orleans and will probably Mm -hmm. be one of the most highly owned uh, games as far as the players, it's probably Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, Julio Jones, um, maybe Brandon Cooks, Willie Sneed as well. How do you approach that any differently because it's it, it projects to be such a highly owned game? Yeah, so this is one of the weeks where I'm already excited that um, that we have the main slate as a Sunday only slate because if you're playing tournaments with that game in it, you're even if you don't like the players, you're forced to have some exposure because it's going to be such a higher scoring game. They're going to be so highly owned. You can be underweight on them, but you can't have 0% on them. So I like that this game isn't on the main slate this week, but what it's going to change is if I do play the Sunday-Monday slate, which I most likely will, I'll probably end up with a very different cash lineup. I'll probably be rolling out two cash lineups because in cash games... Um, you are looking for the best value, but especially if you're playing, well, if you're playing in any cash game, really ownership percentage is really important in that you generally um, don't want to have no exposure to those highest owned guys because if they do go off and you have no exposure to them, you're just going to have a horrible cash week where in um, GPPs you can kind of go the other way and fade the highest owned guys. But uh, yeah, that, that'll be the, the major effect is that my cash game lineups are going to look very different from my Sunday only to my Sunday-Monday slate. What about you? Uh, yeah, I think if I'm playing in a Sunday-Monday slate, um, you know, especially on FanDuel, I probably want Drew Brees as my quarterback in mm-hmm. cash, whereas um, you know, if, if I'm playing a Sunday only slate, I think there, that there's a few more options, which I don't, I don't know exactly who will be the highest owned, you know, at some, uh, by the numbers I'm seeing Andrew Luck come out with a pretty mm-hmm. good dollar per point value, but he just lost Moncrief. Um, and then of course the Philip Rivers and Carson Palmer, but they're, they're on the road. So, uh, a few options there. Um, what else did I, we want to talk about with these? Oh, I wanted to also say you mentioned, locking in low ownership for a player um, because we don't know his status yet on a Thursday. I think another way to also go about that is if, say, a a player is questionable but it looks like he won't play, like, say, for example, Jamal Charles, Mm -hmm. um, I think you you can lock a guy like Spencer Ware in at lower ownership, and that's even probably even more high leverage because 
as we know, um, injured players sometimes, if, you, if they've been on the injury report in a given week, uh, they do see a little dip um, in production sometimes. Obviously, that doesn't matter as much in a tournament because you're just looking for, for the upside. So if you know if he averages a lower uh, average points per game over the long term, it's not really hurting you, but just something else to keep in mind there. Um, yep. We're only at 38 minutes. This is one of our shorter pods. Um, let's see what else we have to talk about here. Um, do you? Well, have, what's up? I do want to say you, you on that injury note. Um, this has nothing to do with slates, but always put your uh, guy with the latest starting time in your flex on DraftKings. Oh yeah, definitely. So you can <laughs> wait, wait, swap them out, um, and then you can have the choice between running back, wide receiver, or tight end. So many people make that mistakes, and that just uh, that significantly can can damage your chances, especially if you have a good lineup going into a a, a night game. So. Um, definitely great advice there. Uh, what are we? How do you feel about Odell Beckham this week? Going probably going to be shadowed by Josh Norman. Hasn't scored a TD yet this season. Uh, are you playing him, fading him? Uh, I think. I mean, the, I, I hate this reasoning or this statement. I think he's a good GPP play, but um, I I think that a lot of people are looking at Odell Beckham's raw numbers and saying that his production's down and it's because Victor Cruz and Sterling Shepard have this um have are pulling targets from him. Odell Beckham's target share is up from last year. He's about 28% after two games. He finished the season with 25% target share last year. Um he's among the top wide receivers in red zone targets. So that is just a really lazy statement to say that he's that he's losing work to the other wide receiver because he's not. He's getting increased um, work. It's just that Giants have been in two games where there just wasn't a lot of opportunity. I think this game is going to be a little faster paced. I think it could be a sneaky shootout. And even if Norman does shadow him, we've seen Odell play well against Norman before. So I like both passing games in this game this week, and I think they're probably going to be really good players to target as lone plays um, all around. Definitely. Uh, what about Antonio Brown? How are we feeling about him? We know he doesn't uh, put up the same kind of touchdown production generally on the road. Did have two touchdowns on the road in week one. Are you expecting a bounce back game for him? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with Antonio. I mean, he's always going to be, like like I said with Odell, he's a huge target share guy. Um, always going to be 30% target share guy. Uh, I mean, last week was kind of a... It, it was just like the perfect storm of badness for Antonio. Like, it was raining really hard. Um, he saw a few fewer targets than usual. He had one awful drop. Uh, ben missed him really badly a couple times. We're not going to see that every week. And I think he's, I mean, he's a candidate to make it into my cash games this week. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I don't usually like playing him on the road just because he's so expensive. And, you know, I just want the optimal, the home splits for him. But. Um, just kind of a weird week where you are going to have some salary to play around with if you take advantage of the value at running back or potentially the value at tight end. So uh, definitely in cash game consideration there. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the 4 for 4 DFS subscription. Uh, this week we have 
added uh, downloading a CSV of multiple lineups that you can import directly to FanDuel or DraftKings from the lineup generator. That should be fully functional. Uh, now, uh, of course, we added a, f- a bunch of new stacking combos to the stack value reports last week. So we're now up to 15 unique stacking combos, including, including excuse me, quarterback receiver, two-man, three-man, four-man, uh, opposing passing game stacks, so stack like quarterback, wide receiver one, opposing wide receiver one, uh, running back defense stack, kicker defense stacks, and more. We have ceiling and floor projections in the lineup generator as well as in the stack value reports. Uh, people have been having success with the subscription. Uh, six of the nine players in Al Smizzle's uh, winning lineup were in the DK GPP write-up last week. And if you guys are thinking about subscribing, you can find a discount code in my pinned tweet at Chris Raybon. That's at C-H-R-I-S-R-A-Y-B-O-N. So check out the DFS subscription on 444.com. That about wraps it up, up Excuse me for us at DFS MVP. Any closing thoughts, Mr. TJ Hernandez? Shmoney is power. Shmoney is power. You heard it here. Follow TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. And I just mentioned my Twitter at Chris Raybon. Check out the DFS sub at 444.com. Thanks for listening to DFS MVP. Let's get this money. Fight the power. Fight the power. Fight the power. Make a change, something strange.